Good morning, Encounter. Let's open with a word of prayer. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we come to the scripture today, I pray you would open our hearts to you and that we would find that you have opened your heart to us through your word. I pray that we would hear those things that your spirit is desiring to speak to each and every one of us. I pray that you would allow us to put action to your word and that this word would not just remain um, in our minds, but it would become actions that we live out on a daily basis. And so we bring this time to you and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak and have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever watched a shampoo commercial and really deeply thought about it? Probably not. <laughs> it's usually something either we skip over or fast forward or maybe we don't watch commercials ever at all. But I was thinking about shampoo commercials recently. You know, you see that perfect model with the like luxurious and luscious hair, you know, flying in the wind maybe, <laughs> and telling you how you can have that same wonderful mane of hair for a small price for this shampoo or conditioner or gel or whatever product it is that they're selling to you. You might see Beyonce there with her hair. That's probably not her hair. <laughs> and she's going to sell you this product that she probably never uses so that you can have hair like she can. And I was thinking about how, wow, you know, I want hair like you. You looks amazing. I, I want shiny hair. But how hair in another context is just produces a whole different set of feelings. So think about finding a stray hair in your food. What kind of feelings come up for you? Mm, yeah. You want to send that food back. I'm questioning the health and safety practices of this entire establishment. It's gross. It's dead. Or hair in the drain. Your spouse takes a shower and all the hair goes and gets stuck in the drain and you pull it out and it's like a little ugh, gob of hair. That's disgusting, right? And so what's the difference between this luscious mane of hair that's presented to us as something we should desire on social media or on a commercial versus the hair in our food or the hair we find in the shower drain? The difference is the hair in that shampoo commercial, it's connected to someone. It's connected to someone's head. But the hair in the drain or in my food, that hair is disconnected. We can see it for what it really is, dead and lifeless. Even though hair is dead, when it's connected to our head, there's a sense of like purpose and beauty to it. But when it's lying on our plate or in our shower, it's disconnected and we can see the death that it is. And so today as we come to the scripture in John chapter 15, even though it's a familiar one, I want us to keep that hair analogy in the back of our head. I want us to think about how when we are connected to Christ, we have purpose, we have beauty, we call others to want to be connected to Christ. And when we're disconnected from him, we don't, we can't do anything. We're as lifeless as that hair sitting in the drain. So let's begin by reading the scripture together. So John chapter 15, starting at verse 15 I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's stop there at verse 5 and look at three things today together. The real vine, remaining in him, and the results. Starting with the real vine. So the opening um, phrase of that first verse is, I am the true vine. I am the real vine. What is Jesus saying? Well, for starters, there must be counterfeit vines if there's a real vine. And Jesus is pointing to himself being the real vine. What's the counterfeit? I remember speaking to a police officer once who was talking about how people counterfeit money. And he was explaining how you'll never see a counterfeit $75 bill or a counterfeit $7 bill. People don't counterfeit things that don't have a real life equivalent. They counterfeit things that have value. They counterfeit things that can be mistaken for what is real. And in this passage, when Jesus says, I am the real vine, he's pointing out that in our lives, that in the lives of his early hearers, there were counterfeit vines in their life. Now, the vine being the source of life for the branches and for the fruit, being the source of life for our lives, is him. He's pointing that out here very clearly. So let's start with the early hearers of Jesus In this context, the people that he's talking to, what would have been their counterfeit vine? So for his early hearers, the word vine would have sparked a whole um, plethora of symbolism for them. The vine was always seen as being Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this picture over and over again. We see this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord God Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delights in. This picture of Israel being the vine is mentioned over and over again. It's just like if I said the word maple leaf, all of a sudden you have a lot of images to connect. You're thinking of maybe maple syrup. (laughs) You're thinking of maybe the Canadian flag with the maple leaf at the center. Or maybe you're thinking about how when Canadians travel to other countries, a lot of them pin a little maple leaf to them, to their shirt or to their backpack, just to signal to other people in that foreign country that, hey, I'm Canadian. I'm not American. Don't be mad. Don't be mad at me. Um, You know, I'm a nice, friendly Canadian. And so that little maple leaf is a symbol and a signal to others of the nation that you are a part of or that you belong to. In America, similarly, they might use um, the, the American bald eagle as a sign or a symbol of what it's like to be American or how they see themselves. Or maybe it's the star-sangled banner, like these flags that symbolize um, what it means to be part of that nation. Well, for the nation of Israel, this symbol wasn't a maple leaf or an eagle. It was a vine. In fact, often Jesus and his disciples would have seen this symbol in action. When they walked past the temple courts, they would see a giant ornate golden vine 
um, on top of the pillars that arise right before you go into the courtyard of the temple. This vine was a reminder to every Jew as they entered into the temple, who they belonged to, God, whose, whose vineyard they were in, God's, whose vine they were, God's. And so people would donate money to place grapes on this giant ornate golden vine in order to say, hey, I belong. I'm, I'm part of Israel. I'm a, I'm a wealthy contributing member. And so this vine was very, it was seared into the hearts and imaginations of Israel. So imagine Jesus coming on the scene and saying, I am the true vine. He's, he's speaking right to the heart of their religion, right to the heart of what they believed about themselves. They thought that they belonged to God and were part of God's family because of their heritage, because of their pedigree, because they were Jews, because they observed the Jewish religion uprightly. In fact, we see this with the Pharisees and the Sadducees so many times. And Jesus says, you know, you have confidence that you're Abraham's children. I can raise up children for Abraham out of these rocks. Their confidence was in their ethnicity. Their confidence was in their background. Their confidence was in their religious adherence to the Jewish law. Their confidence was not in Jesus. And he's pointing them back to himself and saying, you cannot find your identity and your worth and your purpose in where you come from in what family you belong to, in what nation you're a part of, in your religious um, righteousness. You have to find that in me, in relationship to me, in connection to me. And so when Jesus says, I am the real vine, the true vine, he's allowing them to have a look at their hearts and say, who or what am I connected to? that is not Jesus, that I'm finding my purpose and worth in. Timothy Keller has a book called Counterfeit Gods in which he points exactly to what these counterfeit vines might be like. In North America, we might not have um, golden calves that we worship, but we have golden calves in our heart. And he points to some of these. It might be our education. Like, wow, I'm really, you know, I've got, I've, I've climbed the ladder of the academic success. It could be our position or our job. It could be our income level that we find ourselves at. It could be our relationship status. It could be um, a whole plethora of things, our comfort, our power, our influence, whatever it is, whatever we have put our confidence and trust in other than Jesus Christ is a counterfeit vine, a place that we're trying to connect into that will bring us life and sustaining power that is not Christ. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it is an invitation to come to know him, to lay aside our counterfeits and to know the real McCoy. And so the first thing is, I am the real vine. The second thing is remaining in him. I had a friend a number of years ago when we were, we were pretty young, maybe early 20s, and she and I served together as youth leaders in a youth group for about three years, side by side. Every behavior I had, she had. We'd go to prayer meeting. We'd show up for church on time. We both did like part-time work in the office. Um, 
we both knew the same pastors. We were well connected to people. The youth loved us. We played youth games and did organized activities. Yeah, we had all the same kind of outward behavior together. But I think about three years into that friendship and into that time of service together, we went, there was a youth retreat and a youth speaker came and shared the gospel story and asked her, hey, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Like, have you ever asked him to be your Lord and Savior? And she was like, no. And we were all shocked. Our youth pastor was shocked. I was shocked. Everyone that knew her was shocked. She had all the outward signs of a thriving Christian. She served so diligently at the church. She gave of her time so freely and lovingly. But she said no one had ever asked her before. No one had ever asked her if she was connected to the vine. And so we can do all these outward religious behaviors, but in the end, none of it will matter unless we're connected to the vine who is Jesus Christ. She had everything upside down and backwards. And unfortunately, I think so did I. I wasn't able to recognize that she hadn't had a personal relationship with Jesus. We were just so outwardly focused on service and getting these goals accomplished that we missed that this person, this person who served so well, didn't know who they were serving. We don't want to get caught up in a behavior-oriented religion. We want our behavior to flow out of a real living and active relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when he says, remain in me, our starting point always has to be knowing him. How can you remain in him unless you've really known him? So if there's anybody listening to this sermon today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, consider this your ask, just like my friend had to be asked. Do you know him? Do you know the real vine? Because you can't remain in him until you connect to him. Find the friend that brought you and ask them, hey, how do I get to know this Jesus? The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. So know the real vine. And then the invitation is to remain. So though for all of all, all those of us who do know the real vine, let's remain in him. So what does this look like? So this word in Greek is meno, which means to abide, to stay put. The picture I have is if you've ever had a young child and you're walking down a busy street, you take them by the hand and you say, hey, stay here, stay with me. Don't run away, don't run off. You don't want them to run into busy traffic or anything like that, or to run off with a stranger. You're saying the safest place for you, the best place for you is in my care, is beside me, is with me. And so you gently take that child by their hand and you hold on to them with the instructions to stay close. And so this is the instruction that Jesus gives us to remain in him. Stay close. Stay near me. Stay with me. Remain in me. And so what happens when we remain in him? Well, a couple things we see in this passage. Number one, if we remain in him, then he cares for us. See, the father is the gardener and he's a good gardener. And he takes care of his branches and he takes care of the vine. He takes care of his creation. And 
when we are found in Christ, we are these branches that we're being cared for by the gardener. Now, a verse comes up and he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, when I used to read that, I used to get a little bit nervous, a little bit scared, like, oh no, he's coming with his scissors, like got some kind of Edward scissor hands ready to just chop up my life (laughs) and be like, "Mm, she does not bear enough fruit or it's not good enough. I'm done with her. That's not what this passage means. When we look at this passage in Greek, that word cuts off, it has three separate meanings, all that build on one another and that we see in the actual art of vine dressing. So those who work in in, uh, vineyards today will tell us that a good gardener, a good vine dresser does these three things. So let's quickly have a look at them. Number one is he lifts. So this word cuts off starts with the Greek word arau, which means to lift. So what happens in a garden or in a vineyard, (laughs) and I have my handy dandy vine um, branches here. So a vine, it looks like a trunk. It's a full base uh, and the all the branches are attached to that. And so all the life and all the nutrients and all the nourishment that the branches need to grow fruit come from that vine. And then sometimes you get a vine that has a lot of leaves, um, a lot of extra foliage, and it gets really heavy. Maybe it rains, maybe there's a storm. And all of a sudden the, the branches start to sag down. They start to hit the ground. And this poor little plant um, begins to not look so well. It's covered in dirt. It's covered in dust. It's covered in mildew. It's, it's, it's not healthy. It's heavy and weighted down. And on the ground, it becomes susceptible to insects and pests that start to chew away at the branches, that start to chew away at the leaves. And so what a good gardener does is he lifts. He will lift up the branches that have fallen to the ground and he'll place them back on the trellis and he'll dust, begin to dust it off and to begin to lift it up where it's fallen down. Sometimes in our life, we find ourselves weighted down, weighted down by the pressures of life, by the worries of this world, weighted down by our own sinfulness, weighted down by our feelings of disconnection from what God is doing in the external reality of our lives. And God comes like a good gardener and he lifts us up. That's this first word, arau. He lifts us up and he takes us into his hands and he places us exactly where he wants us to be. He doesn't want us to become trampled. He doesn't want us to become ruined. How can we ever bear fruit in that state? And so he lifts us up. Maybe God is inviting you to be lifted up today if you felt trampled on the ground and crushed. The Bible tells us God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So if that's the place you find yourself in today, know that God is a good gardener and he is saving you and he is holding you. And though you may feel broken and bruised, he has you in his hands. And he won't stay that way forever. The first thing he does is he lifts up the branches. The second thing he does is he cleanses them. So this other word cleanses, 
Kata arau. So it's a little the combination of that word. And so he takes the branches. So the branches that have just been on the ground and just been weighted down and are covered in muck and mildew and filth. And he'll take fresh water in his hand and he'll pour it over those branches and he'll wash them and he'll cleanse them and he'll take off away anything that is going to harm or hurt that branch. Takes lots of care to wash these branches and to cleanse them and to clean them. Is it any wonder then that two chapters before our text today, John 15, we find John 12, we find Jesus doing this exact thing to his disciples. In fact, he wraps a towel around himself and begins to wash their feet. Feet that have walked through a mucky, muddy, dirty, dusty world. In that context, they... They didn't have closed-toed shoes. They didn't have cars. So they're walking through this muddy, dirty, mucky road day after day, moment by moment. And so every home had a servant at the front whose express purpose and job was to wash these feet that had been sojourning in a dusty world that had become dirty and filthy just from the act of living. And so that servant would wash people's feet. Now Jesus became that servant in John chapter 12, wraps a towel around his, his waist and begins to wash disciples' feet. And how does Peter react, remember? Peter says, oh no, you can't do that. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, I should serve you. Why are you serving me? And he says, you know, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will. And, and Peter's like, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, I have to wash your feet. If I don't, you can't have part of me. And so Peter says, then wash my head, wash my hands, wash all of me. And Jesus said, if you, if you have had your um, body washed, you don't need to wash your body again, just your feet. It's a picture of how every day in life, as we walk through this world, as we walk through our workplaces, our schools, through conflicts and divisions, we walk through the sin and the temptations that come along our way. We begin to pick up some of the, the dirt and the muck and the mire of this world. And every day we must come before the Lord. We must come to the scriptures. We must come to prayer and ask him to cleanse us. Ask him to wash us. Where in your life is the gardener inviting you to be cleansed, inviting you to be washed, inviting you to be clean? And so this gardener not only lifts, this gardener cleanses. And then the third meaning to this word, and this is the one that usually in sermons, this is the one that the, the pastor loves to go for. <laughs> this is the pruning word. And so we can't get there until we've been lifted and until we've been cleansed. And at that point, then the gardener says, okay, you know what? There's actually some things that are holding this um, vine back from growing because the branches are, are too weighted down. There's too much foliage here. It's not allowing the, the branches to breathe and to, to have room to actually grow and produce fruit that matters. Not just green leaves that look good from the outside, but fruit that will last. And so it takes three years, yes, three years before these branches will produce any fruit. And a good gardener knows that for three years, they're just cutting back and cutting back 
cutting back all this extra foliage, all these extra things. Sometimes what they're cutting off are called sucker branches. So little branches that grow up with the actual branches that suck life away, that steal life, that steal the vitality of the plant. And so what happens? The gardener says, I got to cut these things off. I got to cut some of these maybe relationships or friendships that are just weighing you down, that aren't helpful, that aren't helping you grow in me, that aren't bringing you to closer to me or not bringing them closer to me. And they're just, they're just harmful. These toxic things in your life, these temptations, these places that you're continuing to go and be a part of, these behaviors that are just keeping you from me. Or sometimes he's cutting off things that seem like they're good. Our reputation, our, um, our accomplishments, how we appear, our image from the outside. And all of a sudden, our life starts to look a little bit more bare. Like, that doesn't look great, God. What are you doing? What are you allowing in my life? I just feel like this little nub of a branch. What's going on? And if you look at a plant that's been properly pruned, it looks horrific, actually, from the outside. It looks like nothing will ever grow from this. But a good gardener knows and has eyes for harvest season and knows that that three years of pruning is vital for the next year. Because in that fourth year, that's when the vine and the branches, they start to produce fruit. And even then, every December to January is pruning season. And so in that time, the gardener comes and the gardener begins to prune away once again to make room for more fruit, to cut away those things that were draining life from the plant and bring new life to it. I read a quote once that said, the hand of God is never closer than when he's pruning. See, when you take your pruning shears, you have to come pretty close to that little plant. And God is close to us in those seasons of pruning where it feels like so much is falling away that we trusted in, that we thought was from God. And that brings us to our third point, which is not just that we need to be connected to the real vine and not just that we need to remain in him, but that the result will be fruit. For Jesus says, you cannot do nothing apart from me. And then we could think, mm, actually, I've accomplished quite a lot without you, God. You know, before I was saved, I actually had a great business or, you know, my marriage looked wonderful. But the truth is, all the things that we can do or accomplish or become apart from him, none of it will last. And so the result is fruit that will last Fruit that matters, not just for the here and now, but into eternity. Fruit that has heavenly value. And so the result is fruit or fruitfulness. Have you ever watched Veggie Tales? Did you ever see that series? I grew up with that when I was a kid. My kids have watched it. They're the creator of Veggie Tales, Phil Vischer, he has quite the story of God's pruning and resulting fruit to talk about. But what's interesting is that the fruit isn't what maybe you expect when I say VeggieTales or Phil Vischer. What happened to him was that he was on trajectory to create what he called the Christian Disney experience. He wanted to take all of his VeggieTale characters and create an empire. There was a feature film that he was working so hard on. There was kind of movies and TV shows and, and merchandise and all of these things. And he felt like, okay, God, 
I'm, I'm working so hard for you. He was putting everything he had into it. All his, all his emotional, physical, mental, relational resources into creating this business. And he felt like that he was doing this for God. He got to the point where he was sued by someone unfairly even that lawsuit was thrown out a year later but as he was sued for that person he sat in the back of the courtroom and he watched the judge give away every song he ever wrote every character he ever created every business plan he was ever a part of every series he ever wrote and he sat at the back of that courtroom and felt devastated he felt like this plant that had just been totally pruned off And he said, God, what are you doing? How could you allow this? I was doing all of this for you. And he took some time away and he realized something. See, he was busy producing things for God, but he wasn't being with God. And it started to change how Phil Vischer viewed himself, how Phil Vischer viewed the fruit from his life. He realized something and I'll quote from him. Quote, the impact God has planned for us doesn't occur when we're pursuing impact. It occurs when we're pursuing God, unquote. In other words, the fruit that comes from our life doesn't occur from us pursuing fruit and saying like, oh, I wish I could produce this for God. I want to do this for him. No, it's the opposite. It's when we're pursuing God, when he becomes our ultimate treasure, when he is our all in all. That's when the nourishment and the life from God begins to come through us and the result is fruit and fruitfulness. C.S. Lewis says, quote, he who has God plus many things has nothing more than God alone, unquote. Phil Vischer found this out firsthand that he who has God plus many things has nothing more than God alone because when he lost his many things, all he had was God. And he realized God is enough. So no matter where you find yourself today, if it feels like, oh my goodness, I can't give any more, God, maybe it's time to circle back to the beginning, to the basics. Come back to your roots. Am I remaining in the vine? Am I spending time with God? This passage reminds us to remain in him, to remain in his words, and to remain in his love How do we remain in him? We heard about it last week from Pastor Eddie. Prayer. Remain in the place of prayer. Remain in his presence. How do we remain in his words? Scripture. Remain in the scripture. Let the scripture wash over you. And how do we remain in his love? This passage tells us the command is to love one another. We remain in his love by allowing his love to flow out of us. Are we loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we loving our neighbor as ourself? Are we loving ourselves? How do we remain in God, in him, in prayer, in his words through scripture, and in love in the community? So I'll end with this story. I love the story of um, the Christian monk, Brother Lawrence. He was ordinary in every way. He just was like a shoemaker. He would clean people's shoes off. He would fix them. would wash dishes he just did ordinary everyday tasks and yet he did it so connected to the vine in such a way that it made it extraordinary 
The people would come from all over to watch this man fix buckles on shoes and watch this man wash dishes. I don't know about you, but no one's coming over to my house to watch me wash dishes or my dishwasher. (laughs) But what would it be like to stay so connected to the vine that the fruit of our life, the fruit of even washing dishes and simple mundane tasks that we have to do would become love to other people, would show of God's presence in our life. Imagine washing dishes like Brother Lawrence did. You take that dish in your hand, you look at the filth and you think, God, wash me and cleanse me the way I'm washing this dish right now. God, use me. The way this dish will be used to serve other people, to bring food to the hungry. God, be with me. Allow your presence to be here now. Maybe even following a liturgical prayer or the prayer we were talking about last week, the Our Father, with every pass of that dish rag, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Think of ways this week you can connect your everyday experience to knowing that God is with you, to remaining in him, and through prayer, through scripture, and through love. Let's pray. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Help us to connect to the real true vine, which is you. I pray we would remain in you because that is the only way that fruit will be produced. Allow the fruit that comes from our life to last and to matter, not just here and now, but into eternity. In your name we pray. Amen.